Dumelanga Avusheni and hello, hi, I'm Zanzi. Nolutandu Ngakani here and welcome back to Sisters Without Shame, a No Holds Barred podcast that is proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. I'm here to walk with you on your health journey as you seek the answers to those weird lumps and pussy bumps you're too scared to speak about in public. Sorry to get so graphic, Mzanzi, but this podcast is a safe space. Now, psychological trauma can severely undermine a person's confidence and overwhelm their ability to cope. While trauma may leave us feeling powerless and fearful, it is possible to break free of abusive situations and move forward stronger. This week, we are joined by psychologist Amina Maikwambo, who helps us unpack the trauma of gender-based violence. Amina is a licensed psychologist and a mental health and psychological support practitioner at the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. She is currently also pursuing her PhD in psychology, researching torture through the experience of women ex-combatants in South Africa. Amina has clinical experience providing psychotherapeutic interventions for various mental health issues related to mood, anxiety, trauma, and personality. What is trauma or post-traumatic stress syndrome? Trauma, it's a response to an event or series of events that someone has experienced as harmful or life-threatening to themselves or to others. And normally what happens in these events is a person is left feeling unsafe, afraid, and very hopeless. The traumatic experiences cause a person to feel destabilized. And whatever event has happened causes them significant distress and emotional and psychological impacts. So a psychological trauma can result in changes in a person and how they're able to function normally or in their everyday life after the fact. So because something significant has happened to this person, it shifts the way that they understand themselves, the way that they understand the world. If I am looking at it, a violence perspective, for example, or an intimate partner violence perspective, something that can happen between two people can change the way a person starts to trust another human being. And this is what I mean when I say it destabilizes them. And then that was what somebody would then experience as a trauma or what we say is that somebody has been traumatized. You know, like we have all these resources that tell us which first step should we take. I mean, what are the first steps that you should take when you first notice that your partner has abusive traits? Um, how do you get out immediately from these kinds of situations? We like to ignore red flags and think that they are just decoration. They are real. So most importantly, it's often difficult to notice that a partner has abusive traits or these red flags, right? We think that, like you're saying, sometimes we think that the red flags are decorations. I think it's important to say this because oftentimes victims, for example, intimate partner violence and the people around them then sit and ruminate on the questions after the fact, like, how did I even get into this situation? Or why didn't I see the signs? Or why didn't you see the signs? And in other situations, some people who might be close to you could see the signs while the person who's in the relationship, for example, doesn't see those signs. And one of the reasons for this is that abuse can be quite covert and is easily masked in character or personality or even culture and tradition. So a person who is in an abusive relationship might not be able to pick up these things. It might take some time because 
These things typically are ingrained in a person's character or personality. Also, another thing is a person who's abusive is not necessarily abusive everywhere. You see them getting along with other people and other people love them. So it becomes very difficult for you to then be able to start to identify that actually what I'm experiencing is abuse, which is why we do have such a problem with gender-based violence, because a lot of people who are abusive are the people who are among us. You know, they're not people who are hiding in graves and then coming out later on in life. These are our family members, our friends, our colleagues. So kind of back to your question, you know, when someone is aware that their partner is abusive, it's advisable that they begin to think or explore what that actually means. So we want to be able to say, just leave. I mean, that's a go-to response. I'd be like, okay, how do you get out? But you want a person to be able to then kind of sit with, what does this actually mean for me? Because in society, things are hardly ever black and white. A person needs to be able to acknowledge that their partner is abusive and come to terms with that. And then recognize what it means for them as an individual and prepare themselves to remove themselves from the relationship in the safest and most beneficial way. And I mean, the time frame for this could be anything between 10 minutes or 10 years, you know, who knows, because all situations are different. People are different. And unfortunately, many people have circumstances that keep them trapped in these abusive relationships. Sometimes they are financial or cultural or psychological, you know, but the most important thing is to get as much support from people who you trust who can assist you also to gauge how safe you are inside and outside of the relationship. And if somebody doesn't have people close to them, sometimes you'll find that it is a product of the abuse because abusive people can isolate you from the people who are around you. But I'm saying all of this because we know that in a lot of cases where somebody does actually try to leave a relationship, you find that the abusive partner starts to become much more aggressive. So it's always important to just kind of sit a little bit and take stock and be able to see that, okay, this is what I need and this is what is happening. And it's not easy to expect a victim to be able to do that on their own, which is why we need to be able to always kind of support and provide support to victims of intimate partner violence. Like you mentioned, I think people call it to Bekezela or we must just submit. It's really harmful to our society. And it is because you're, even when I was just kind of thinking about my response now, no one is saying just hang in there, like see how to make it work. It's about sitting with yourself and saying, this is not safe for me physically, psychologically, emotionally. And, but you're saying that this is not safe for me. And what do I do in order to make sure that I'm removed from this relationship and I'm safe and I'm in a, in a place where physically I'm safe and psychologically I can come to a place where I'm walking a healing journey as a result of the relationship. Let's talk about trauma bonding. That's something that's emerged when we're talking about trauma. Can you define what trauma bonding is? So trauma bonding, we give terms for things that we see in everyday life. So trauma bonding is a type of attachment that normally takes place between victims and then an abuser or perpetrator. And it's kind of centered on one person having power over the next person in a relationship or an interaction. But just to summarize it, and this is what we often see in real life when we say, why didn't this person just leave? It is that bond that has happened. You're in an abusive relationship, but that abusive relationship may not be abusive 24-7. So you're still connecting with this person, even though this person is abusive to you. So firstly, if we are talking about intimate partners, you were attracted to that person one way or another. There's something about them that attracted you to them. And this provides an allowance for you to ignore or sometimes not notice those red flags. There's a variety of emotional experiences where sometimes there's anger, there's manipulation, there's physical abuse, sexual abuse, for example. And then 
after these things happen, the person who is a perpetrator may take a step back and then start to repair. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean it like that. You pushed me to feel like that. I love you. I'm so sorry. Please don't leave. You know, there are gestures of apology. Sometimes they're big gifts. And sometimes it's not even that big, which is very important. Sometimes it's not even like this big gesture of something. Sometimes it's like a person does something to you and then carries on with life. And then they just act like everything is normal. So while it looks normal, it may communicate to the victim that they're not actually being assaulted or violated or being kicked out of the relationship. And if you think about it, if I can assault you and stay with you in a relationship and sometimes expressing love and commitment, it's going to confuse you. It's going to confuse a lot of people. And it's a form of emotional manipulation, but also a way of communicating to that person that this is what you deserve. I can do this to you, but afterwards I can continue. So the victim, what they do is they start to blame themselves. They embody the sense of blame for being violated. And sometimes they blame themselves for pushing that person to treat them that way. So with trauma bonding, the important thing is that is to understand is that we as human beings were wired to connect to people. And sometimes that drive to be connected can be manipulated and it can be dysfunctional. So you're having so many different fluctuating emotions in relation to this other person, but ultimately there is something that is not well in this relationship because of your connection with them, you stay. And I mean, this could be because of your history and your upbringing or so many other different circumstances. But I think at the crux and what is important for people to know is that we do bond to people who can be hurtful to us. An example of that, I don't know if you're a big TV or series watcher, but the show Big Little Lies the plot is that this group of women killed the one lady's husband because he was abusive and stuff like that. But like she wasn't speaking up about it because obviously women like to keep things hidden. I think in the second season, they tried to make her look like somebody who loved to be abused by the mm -hmm. perpetrator and things like that. Like when yeah. I think of trauma bonding, I think of that show. <laughs> It's so unfortunate. And this is why sometimes these terms, they do irk me a little bit because it's almost like we think that people consciously move to make decisions. We're not aware of the histories and the unconscious drives that cause people to stay or to love a person that abuses them. Psychologically, there is such a burden on this person who is now in the situation and has to somehow figure out how to unlearn so much or how to remove themselves from a, an environment, sometimes a home that is comfortable because somebody is violating you. And the unfortunate thing is, in a lot of cases, is the honest is on the victim mm. to seek their safety. They must now remove themselves from what they know in order to feel safe. The onus is never on the perpetrator, really, because what uh. leads you to also <laughs> violate people? Can trauma be mental or physical? When should you actually seek out therapy or help when you notice something is off. Trauma can be both physical and psychological. I always think about the person as a whole. So something that might happen to me physically is going to impact me psychologically. And then there are times when things happen to me psychologically. So even emotional abuse and your body carries it. So it can be both. I always say in terms of therapy, you don't have to wait for a crisis to seek therapy. Therapy can help you to develop so many insights about yourself and yourself in relation to other people in a way that you're much more empowered and psychologically positioned to develop healthy relationships with yourself and the people around you. And this helps you so much when you meet people who display abusive traits. 
it's often easier to identify and maneuver these people because of your sense of self-awareness and how you're comfortable with actually confronting things that make you uncomfortable. So the thing about life is that, you know, we've all experienced something that has destabilized us or has had the potential to destabilize us. And if we think about what I spoke about in terms of trauma, traumatic event is something that will destabilize you. When we sit with these things that are left unprocessed, they change form. And we're often not aware immediately of how they're impacting us in our everyday life. So one of the things that I really do believe in is that a person who has been in abusive relationships has a high chance of ending up in other abusive relationships. Why? Because this is what they know. It's not like they're consciously going to seek abusive relationships, but because of their knowing, somebody said once is that it feels like home. It feels familiar. And that is part of what can then put a person in a situation where you're finding that they're attracted to people with particular traits that be reflective of being abusive and they find themselves in that situation. So therapy will help you to be able to gain that sense of insight, even into some of your own past traumas that kind of govern or encourage you to move in different ways in the world. It's complex, this topic. I think when people think about it now, like you shouldn't act like think that anybody would actively want to be willingly in these kinds of situations. Absolutely. I have a problem with the term self-sabotage, you know, because I know while it makes sense, these are some of the buzzwords that go around that if you understood, and this is why psychology is a science of the human mind and human behavior. So if you understood that I can't intentionally want to walk towards what is going to harm me. We don't generally have a drive to just want to be harmed. So when we say somebody just keeps self-sabotaging, what has happened to to frame the world or themselves like this, that they keep finding themselves in these situations? And it's not necessarily saying that people don't have agency and autonomy. It's just saying that there's an entire unconscious and intra-psychic world that exists We can't fixate on behavior and actions. We need to be able to know that there are things that happen in our unconscious that kind of channel us in certain ways. And when we understand that, then we also have a lot of empathy for people who find themselves in relationships a lot that are destructive or dysfunctional or harmful. What kind of support do you need after you have decided to leave your traumatic and abusive relationship? As much support as possible. As much safe, transparent, accountable, non-judgmental support. I think one of the difficulties of being in and leaving a traumatic and abusive relationship is the guilt and shame that come. And this is like a byproduct of violence. Guilt and shame always. We're looking at rape, guilt and shame. We're looking at an abusive relationship, guilt and shame. You know, it's always a byproduct of violence. And victims tend to blame themselves They often feel very ashamed, firstly, because of their abuse. You need to go and tell people that this person who I believe loved me, loved me like this with violence, with hurt. And when you do that, you're now putting yourself in a limelight. You're putting yourself out there subject to people's interpretations. So like what we call a gaze, people get to look at you and make assumptions and think about like what you're saying, like, how did you even get in that kind of a situation? So that comes with a lot of guilt and it comes with a lot of shame. You're wondering, what are people thinking about me? 
So when victims or people who have left relationships, abusive and traumatic relationships, reach out for support, it's important that they get as much support. And sometimes that support might not be what you want them to have. Sometimes it means I'm in an abusive relationship and I know that's abusive and I can't leave now, but I need support. And sometimes supporting that person where they is the biggest type of support that they need and what would be beneficial to them because we need to be much more open to how we support victims of abusive relationships psychologically, emotionally, and with any other resources that allow them to get like that sense of stability. Because remember that this is trauma. So they have been destabilized. So what we need to ask ourselves as people is how do we assist this person to reach a stage or a phase where they feel much more stable? And when they can do that, then we can move in the direction of saying, okay, what does something new and something healthy look like for you? Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Amina. Now, if you missed out on our conversation on dealing with trauma of abuse, visit healthformzanzi.co.za. Now, dear friends, remember, if you are in a medical bind or just looking for a shoulder to cry on, you can send an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. Alternatively, you can send us a WhatsApp on 063-633-0628. That's 063-633-0628. Nah, I would never blue tick you, babes. Trauma is a normal response to being abused, and people cope with painful feelings in different ways. Like Amina said, the conversation is complex. Do not blame or shame, only give support to survivors. That brings us to the end of episode 69 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. From me, Lulu Nakani, have a great week and remember to show your girls some love by sharing this podcast with a friend.